There are a variety of church structures or church polities. At Crystal Lake Baptist Church, we use a polity called elder-led congregationalism. In this church structure, we advocate for a plurality of elders. In today's episode, Josh and I will talk about what a plurality of elders is, why we believe that it's biblical, and what the benefits are for using a plurality of elders. Josh, thanks for being willing to talk here about a plurality of elders. Looking forward to the discussion here. (laughs) In 2019, May of 2019, Crystal Lake voted on a vision proposal that included operating with a plurality of elders. And this was a significant change for our church because for its entire history, it had a church polity that was centered around a church council. The church council and in some other polities, a deacon board really functioned as the leadership of the church. Now, there were still pastors, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. when we arrived here, there was one pastor in the church's history. There had been multiple pastors, but that structure was different than a plurality of elders for several reasons. One of them was that there was a hierarchy among the pastors, and so there was a senior pastor with Mm -hmm. more authority than the youth pastor or something like that. So as we talk about this, it's probably good for us to begin by defining our terms. What do we mean by elder, and how is that different from a pastor? Mm. I think as you and I read the New Testament, we would look at these terms and say that they're synonymous. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul references pastors or pastor teachers as gifts to the church. In Philippians 1, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, as well as to the overseers and the deacons. And then in 1 Timothy and in Titus, in in Acts, and just about everywhere else, Paul references elders. And this is especially clear in 1 Peter, where Paul brings the term overseer and the term elder together and uses them synonymously. And so when we talk about elders— we're talking about pastors. So an Mm -hmm, elder mm -hmm. is a pastor, is an overseer, is an elder. And so they're all the same thing. Mm. And so we, strangely, in America and perhaps other places, use the term pastor most Mm -hmm, often, mm -hmm. even though that's the term that appears least frequently in the New Testament. And really, as far as I understand it, pastor is just the Latinized term for shepherd. And so we talk about shepherding God's flock, and that's connected to the term of the office, pastor. Mm -hmm. So Aaron, just out of curiosity, we have three different terms for for pastor, overseer, elder. Um, Do they have any different nuances, or do they imply anything about the role of a pastor? Yeah, I think that's a, a good point to make. Terms that are synonymous share a good deal of meaning, meaning, Mm -hmm. but we use synonyms for a reason, to Mm -hmm. add another facet to that meaning. Mm -hmm. And so we we could, in a very superficial way, say that the pastor emphasizes the shepherding care that Mm -hmm. is given by the individual in that office. We could say that the overseer exercises the managerial care that's incumbent to the office. And we could say that elder indicates the leadership Mm, capacity mm. 
of that office. And we shouldn't distinguish them directly that way. But I think those terms really do emphasize Mm -hmm. the differing roles and responsibilities of a pastor, overseer, elder. That's helpful. So as we look at this, Josh, we've kind of established pastor, elder, overseer are the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now let's add that word plurality. Where do we find in the Bible a plurality of elders, and how is that different than just having multiple pastors? Yeah, um, I think all over the New Testament as we read it and we look at this term elder or overseer, you're going to see it more often than not in the plural. There's there's always a plurality of these elders or overseers. Um, we look at Titus 1.5. You already mentioned that Paul tells Titus to appoint elders— in every town. He didn't just say one elder, but a plurality of them. Um, again, we see evidence of this in Philippians 1.1, where Paul addresses the church, and he says the overseers and deacons, again, plural. He, he's implying there's more than one. And then, of course, as you go through the through Acts, as the churches are being developed, Acts 11, 14, 15, 20, 21, you'll see that elders is nearly always in the plural. There's a plurality of elders at Antioch. There's a plurality of elders at Jerusalem. Paul is appointing elders in every church. So even as you look at these passages, we see evidence that there are numerous um, amounts of elders in churches as we look, and it seemed to be the norm, though not a direct command, to have elders in every single one. Yeah, I think that pattern is there at least, and we can say that wherever you see an individual being raised to this office, there are individuals, plural, mm-hmm. being raised to this office. Mm-hmm. And especially as you trace Acts, you see a lot of language of the apostles doing something or making decisions. And then you see the apostles and elders functioning in this way. And it's almost as if the apostles are handing off a baton mm-hmm. such that the leadership of the church is no longer centered around this plurality of apostolic leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's now centered around a plurality of elders mm-hmm. who are now leading the church. Yes. So then how, as we think about a plurality of elders in this New Testament sense, how is that different than a church that you might visit where there's a senior pastor Mm -hmm. and five associate pastors and a missions pastor and a youth pastor. Yeah. A plurality of elders, as we see in the New Testament there, we don't see a distinction between, you know, say senior pastor, associate pastor, senior elder, associate, they're, they're equals. And that means they share equal authority in the church. One voice doesn't mean more than the other. One voice doesn't carry 10 votes and say the associate pastors only carries like five Uh, We see equal authority amongst the elders as they're making decisions. And I think that's one big difference as you look at this polity of other churches. Yeah, and I think along with that is a sense of shared responsibility Mm -hmm. for the shepherding of the flock. Correct. And so while different pastors may take the first step forward in areas that they're more gifted in, Mm -hmm. there's still a shared responsibility for shepherding. And caring for the flock. Yes. Mm -hmm. So so some churches might have a youth pastor, and his only concern is shepherding the youth of the church. Well, we would look at that and say, we think it's better for pastors to be pastors Mm -hmm. and to shepherd the whole flock of God. Now, there may be one or two of those elders whose primary focus is leading that particular ministry. But their responsibility is not just for 
individuals ages 14 through 17, but really for the entire congregation. Mm-hmm. If then we are believing in a plurality of elders, mm-hmm. is it wrong for a church not to have multiple pastors? I, I don't think it's wrong if they're not qualified. I mean, I think the New Testament has as the norm a plurality of elders, and that would be ideal, but better to have a single qualified elder than a plurality of elders with people that are not qualified, um, because as we know, the New Testament gives us a list of qualification for what those elders should be and what they should have if they are going to be in that office. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's not a virtue mm-hmm. just to have a plurality of elders to have them. These elders are only able to hold that office if they meet the biblical qualifications. So like you said, it's better to have fewer elders Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and have them qualified than have more elders who are unqualified. We should talk about the (laughs) qualifications of an elder. And I think for the sake of time here, those qualifications can be found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And these lists are virtually the same. Mm. They're sometimes expressed in different words, but the same idea is there. And I think the overarching idea is that an elder must be a man who is a mature Christian, Mm. who is growing in the faith, who is a good example of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a good example of someone who is living in submission to the word and then speaking that word to others. There are a few qualifications that often raise discussion, and so I want to talk about those here. The first one is that qualification that's sometimes rendered the husband of one wife, Mm -hmm. or more literally, a one-woman man. The two questions that are often asked is, does this mean that you have to be married to be an elder, and does this automatically disqualify anyone Mm -hmm. who's been divorced? So let's talk about that first one. Do you have to be married to qualify for service as an elder? No. Why not? It's a good question. It's a good question. I I think (laughs) my first response would be when we look at the Apostle Paul, Mm -hmm. who was an apostle, not an elder, Mm -hmm. he was unmarried. You know, Christ was unmarried. (laughs) There's no command in this text that would indicate that someone has to be married the focus, I think, is on the way that they view relationships and conduct themselves with respect to the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. a single man can be a one-woman man by maintaining sexual purity, Fidelity, by yeah. not sleeping around, by not looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. You know, a married man can sin and become a not married, a not one-woman man by doing those things, by becoming addicted to pornography or by mm-hmm. violating his marital vows. And so I think as I look at that one married man, the husband of one wife qualification, I don't think it means you must be married any more than the qualification that an individual manages his household well means that he must be married with a certain amount of kids who have reached a certain age. In each of those, I think someone can show biblical faithfulness in their state as married or single. Mm-hmm. Can someone who has been divorced serve as an elder? I I think so. I think so. 
So maybe yes, and maybe no. <laughs> it depends on the situation. Yeah so, yeah, so that one we'd probably have to consider case by case, mm-hmm. knowing that divorce is not good. Mm-hmm. God does mm-hmm. not like divorce. And so we want to investigate these situations. Mm-hmm. And often there's a length of time yeah. that factors into this, the situation of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't want to say that someone's automatically disqualified because they've been divorced. Mm-hmm depending on the circumstance and they they might be disqualified mm-hmm. they might not be disqualified we need to ask questions investigate, investigate. Mm-hmm. and i think a lot of times we'll be able to flesh that out as you come to know somebody in the assembly these qualifications like i said i think ultimately provide the picture of a christian man who is living in spiritual faithfulness to God, who's growing in spiritual maturity, and who's seeking to shepherd the flock of God. And this really mm-hmm. raises the question of how does someone become an elder? You know, how how do you decide this person is fit to be an elder or not? Mm-hmm. So what are some things, Josh, that would need to be evident in a man's life for him to be considered to serve in this office of an elder? Yeah, I think you already went through the qualifications. That's something we're looking at for every individual uh, aspiring to be an elder, overseer, or pastor. And more than that, of course, are they already doing the things of a pastor? I think that's what we're looking for. Are they leading as they call, as God has called pastors to do? Are they leading as examples to the flock of Christ-likeness? Are they servant leaders? Um, are they helping one another as Christ? Are they tending to the flock, the needs of the, the people in the church? Are they teaching God's word? Are they doing what pastors are already called to do? So if they're looking to be a pastor, are they acting in that way currently and serving the church accordingly? So this is very similar to the way that we recently talked about raising up deacons. Correct. For either mm-hmm. office, we're not looking to grab someone who's disconnected from the church and Mm, stick mm -hmm. them into the office, hoping that it will help them grow spiritually and help them become committed Mm -hmm, to the mm -hmm. church. We're really going at it from the opposite angle. We're looking at individuals who are already evidencing gifting in Mm -hmm. this way, who are evidencing spiritual maturity and who are already serving in this way. Mm -hmm. And we just want to make it official Mm -hmm. as God would allow. And of course, as the congregation would affirm. Amen. So then, as we talk about looking for an individual who's already serving as an elder in an Mm, unofficial mm -hmm, way, mm -hmm. what are those responsibilities of elders? I've already mentioned some of them. Again, I think really important, as you've already nuanced an elder, they're leaders. They're leaders in the church, servant leaders, uh, by their example to the flock. Uh, They're doing their best to give the church oversight, direction, and vision to be what the Bible calls the church to be. They are to lead the church uh, to conform more and more to the Word of God. Um, I've already mentioned this as well, but they're to feed the flock the Word of God. Are they doing that? Are they prioritizing the Word and helping one another to feast on the truths of Scripture and to apply it to their life, um, even as they do that through preaching, even as they do that through uh, music on Sunday, selecting music that teaches the congregation the Word of God and feeds their souls and um, through their preaching. And then also tending, tending to the flock, caring for the souls of the members, their needs, their struggles. Um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen gives elders a, and leaders in the church a sobering reality that 
they're going to give account for the souls that mm-hmm. they shepherd and that they care for. And that's a that's a weighty thing to carry, but it's part of uh, the calling and responsibility of an elder. And one I don't think that we take lightly. Uh, we seek to care for the souls of our members as we will give an account for each soul. Um, and then last, of course, not least, defend. Defend the, the church of God from heresy, from false teaching, from wolves that will come in to seek to, to devour the flock and mm-hmm. take them captive with empty lies and deceit. Um, but I think all of these in a nutshell are what are the, are the responsibilities of pastors, elders, and um, it's what we've been called to do. Yeah, and I think that picture of a shepherd is a really good picture and mm-hmm. analogy, and that's why mm-hmm. it's in the New Testament yes, for yes. these responsibilities. You think of that shepherd who is leading that's the right. flock, who's defending the flock from these attacks on the outside, who's feeding and providing for the care of the flock. And so every elder has this responsibility. Mm -hmm. Now we have in our constitution and as a philosophy, a capacity to have elders who are compensated Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. fulfilling these responsibilities and elders who are non-compensated. And sometimes we refer to them as vocational elders and lay elders or simply compensated and non-compensated elders. Mm -hmm. But each has the responsibility to shepherd the flock in this way. Though, of course, given the time restraints and everything else, some elders take more of an involved role Mm -hmm. in that, Mm -hmm. while others are limited by working a full-time job and Mm -hmm. other concerns. But are those compensated elders and non-compensators equally pastors? Are are the non-compensated pastors just hobby pastors with less (laughs) authority, and they don't really deserve either the respect or the responsibility of the office? Again, as we look at the New Testament, an elder is an elder is an elder. We don't really see a distinction there in authority or responsibilities um, given there in the qualifications and what they're they're called to do. So no, I, I don't think we should look at them differently. We should look at an elder as a qualified pastor overseer, um, one who is responsible for taking care of the church of God. Yeah, we currently have no non-compensated elders. Mm -hmm. So you and I are the only pastors here, but we pray that God would raise up elders. And given the size of our church, it's likely and almost certainly that if elders were raised up, there would be Mm -hmm. this lay elder category in which these men would be serving. And we want to be quite clear that if a lay elder is raised up, appointed by the vote of the church, that man is equally a pastor with any compensated elder. Mm -hmm. He shares the responsibility to shepherd God's flock. Mm -hmm. The instructions in the New Testament about giving honor to elders applies, about submitting to elders as those who watch over your souls. That lay elder Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. fulfilling that role. And so we don't look at lay elders as hobby pastors or less significant pastors, but those who are actually in some ways making a greater sacrifice by giving of themselves to their full-time job, Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. giving above and beyond in service of shepherding the church. Amen. So Aaron, what what are some of the the practical benefits then? We've we've talked about elders, their qualifications, we've we've kind of made it a big deal that there's a it's normally put there as a plurality. There's numerous. What what are the benefits then 
of having multiple elders. I I can think of a bunch of benefits just from our experience Mm -hmm. pastoring together, and that's just with two elders. I'm sure that those who have served as an elder at a church with more elders or who have been part of a church can speak of many, many more benefits. But I think that some include the biblical accountability and the mutual accountability that comes from serving as equals together. Mm -hmm. I think when there's a hierarchy among the pastors, it's hard for them to be vulnerable and authentic with one another. Um, It's hard for them to confront each other. And so if associate pastor is worried about losing his job, Mm. he's probably not going to confront senior pastor on his laziness or of his overexertion of authority or something like that. And so I think by sharing in the responsibility and in authority, there's freedom to cultivate genuine accountability with one another. Mm -hmm. I think another benefit along those lines, is that pastors can truly share burdens with one another. If they're structured in such a way that they're sharing the shepherding burden of the church, then it also frees them up to share the more prominent upfront responsibilities, as well as the private personal burdens. Mm -hmm. And so because you're on the same mission together as equals, you can talk about the struggles that you have without fear. Mm. And then you can also relinquish the upfront responsibilities that one might look at as the thing that secures their spot as an elder. Mm. And and Mm. so we can share those things together. I think one of the ways that that practically works out for us is during our elders meetings, we share our burdens. So Mm -hmm. what we're working Mm. through, what we're talking about, shepherding responsibilities in the church, but then also it allows us to help one another in the divvying up of responsibilities Mm. in preaching and teaching. So we've, I think, struck a good balance of when I'm preaching more regularly, you're doing the Bible class more regularly. (laughs) So shares responsibility there. But then I think that also it works itself out in the way we divide up the the preaching of sermons. And so generally speaking, I think I do about two-thirds of the time and you do about a third of the time. And not only does that help us as we prepare and study and give each other a break, mm-hmm. it also helps the church to get a break from each of us. You know, <laughs> yes. someone might do better hearing from you than they do from me. Mm-hmm. And so switching around is, I think, probably really helpful for our church in the present. But then as we try to shepherd our church towards the future, so whether we die or move on someday, mm-hmm. This church will be used to hearing different styles of preaching, all preaching God's word, but different presentation styles and personalities coming Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a benefit to us and the church in that way. And then finally, I think that it's just a better picture of what the church is. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. instead of having this split between the paid clergy and the laity, you know, where where the clergy, the pastors have all of the spiritual uppityness and the, the clergy just or the laity just show up to hear something. We're looking at men in the church and saying, you can be a shepherd of God's people. You can share in these responsibilities and you share in them equally with us. Mm-hmm. And while we might have a heavier load, given that we're in the employee of the church or wherever that might be, um, there's there's a merging of the clergy and the laity 
emphasizing the priesthood of the believer mm-hmm. and the gifting mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. God to all the saints. Yeah, and I, I, all of those that you just mentioned, I've experienced those benefits and um, even just one more added, I, I know that we a plurality of pastors also allows us to be sharpened in our abilities, just even as we offer one another critique and on a regular basis just to help each other improve as as teaching and our preaching and our leading of worship. I know that without another pastor helping me that way, that, that might be more difficult. And I know I've been sharpened as a result of having more than one pastor, too. I think the benefits of a plurality of eldership are more immediately clear to the elders who are functioning in that way than maybe (laughs) even the church. Mm. But I think in the long haul, the church will see those benefits and will be spiritually enriched by them. And there will be a cultivation of spiritual maturity as men in the church in particular are raised up as elders, Lord willing. Mm. Amen. Anything else, Josh, that we should talk about as we discuss this plurality of elders? No, I think we we got a good start on this topic, and I'm looking forward to formalizing it here um, as we vote on our Constitution soon. Well, there's certainly more that we could say. There's more the Bible says. But we'd encourage you to continue to pray that God would raise up elders in this assembly. If you're interested in learning more about a plurality of elders, I would recommend the book Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons, or the book, 40 Questions About Elders and Deacons. Josh, thanks for talking, and let's continue to pray that God would work in this church a raising up of elders for the shepherding of God's people. Amen.